Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Glad that you're here. We have, uh, as uh, they've been mentioning, a, a lunch afterwards. So even if you're visiting, please, there will be plenty of food. This is not Calorie Chapel for uh, any other purpose. They have, uh, they, they were in here all day yesterday preparing. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will get you a Bible. I want you to follow along with the Bible because we're teaching through uh, Paul's letter to the church of Thessalon- Thessalonica. So if you can turn to the fourth chapter of the first letter. This morning we're going to be looking at um, the comfort, the very thing that should bring us comfort in the world that we live in, comfort for the believer. And uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. So if you're there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, let's stand together and we'll read this text. I'm going to read what... Text we'll be covering, and that's why it's so important for you to follow along. We want you to have Bibles. It's so important. Verse 13, Paul writes, he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen, fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus uh, died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of our Lord will by no means precede those who are, who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them uh, with the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore... Comfort one another with these words. The Lord, we've done that. We've read it. We want to bring comfort. We want to uh, really hear, again, the foundational truths that you have for us this morning. So give us that hope. Give us that comfort. Give us that assurance. Once again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you've been with us in chapter 4, we've been watching Paul the Apostle been studying his letter. He's been, uh, just in chapter 4 alone, he's written to them two, two things to, to encourage them. Number one, it was that they might live a life of purity, so important in verses 1 through 8, and then to live a life that has order in verses 9 through 12, and there's a purpose for that. There's a purpose that he's encouraging them. Remember, this is not a letter to a church that was needing correcting. It was a letter to a church that was needing encouraging. The Thessalonians were being persecuted because of their faith in Christ, because they had uh, come to know Jesus, and that their friends and family were thinking something else. They were thinking other things about them. You know, how could you do this? You know, you've ruined the family now. Now you're a Christian. You're not, <laughs> I mean, in my family, it was like, well, you're, you're not smoking dope anymore. You're not drinking. You've ruined the family. They didn't say that in a sense, but you get the drift. But there's this reason why Paul, why the Holy Spirit puts this in his heart to to say to the church, and we'll say it even today, why it's so important for us to speak about, you know, the first part of 
uh, chapter 4, why it's so important. Why are we to live lives of purity? Why are we to live lives of, that have order to them? Because Jesus is coming. I mean, that's it, right? Because they're expecting Jesus at any moment to return. And so that ought to prompt us, it ought to motivate us, if you will, to live lives that are not out there in the world two-stepping with the devil. It's to live a life that is under the Lord for His glory because we're expecting that He's going to come at any moment. He's going to snatch us up. He's going to get us out of here. You know, and so we, I think of 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says, And anyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as he is pure. You and I should have that desire. We see the Lord. We see, you know, at times are what they are. But um, we know that the Lord is going to come to take us home at any moment. Now, when you look at the first century church, you look at Thessalonica or Ephesus or these churches that were started so long ago, they didn't use the terms that you and I use today. They didn't use pre-rapture. They didn't use, you know, es- eschatology. Or they didn't use, you know, some of the uh, all, all millennialists. Or they didn't use these terms. They were, you know, th- they were taught this one thing. Jesus is coming. Okay, we've broken it down into theology and groups of theology, but they were taught to just expect the Lord to return at any moment. Just be ready. That's it. It's just that simple. So you get saved. The church in Thessalonica that were studying, they got saved out of the world, and they were to say, "Well, get ready." Well, the, all these things are happening around them, right? And and uh, so they had to just be ready. You know, you come out of the world, don't live like the world anymore. Now you're serving the Lord. Be ready. And so the, in the first letter, uh, again, to the uh, church at Thessalonica, many of the first letters, this is the first letter written in the New Testament, by the way. And it's a letter that is as it's written as our theology is being developed. The, the New Testament church, like I said, they don't have the letter to the Philippians. They don't have the letter to, of Revelation. They don't have you know, a lot of the pastoral epistles, yeah, they have this letter right here. They have the, you know, the letter, the first letter to Thessalonians. So the subject, even in the early letter, the subject of Jesus returning was that important. Then Paul, it's so important that Paul wants to bring clarity to the church. I think that the church needs clarity today. They need to understand what it is that Jesus is doing, what, what his plan is. And we see in the second letter, and we'll get to that in a short time if the Lord tarries, that we'll, be, we'll see as Timothy had came to Corinth to meet Paul, and he brought, him news, brought news back to Paul that there was confusion about what was taking place. It was settling into their hearts and the minds of the people of the church. So in the second letter, Paul writes this, and he says in chapter 2, verse 1, Now brethren concerning the the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because they had been taught that. But he says, And our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or in trouble. Again, the false teachers had come in. They wanted to plant some things into their minds about different weird ideas about the Lord's return. And so he says, either by spirit or by word, uh, by word or by letter, as if from some as though the day of the Lord had come. So the people had come by and said, oh, you're, you're living in a tribulation, or we're in the, the millennial period. If Christ is reigning in the millennial period, we need to think about something else to do. This is not the millennial period. This is not the thousand-year reign of Christ that we're living in. 
And so we have this thing that where Paul, Paul writes in the, in the second letter again, and he says, um, we, we want to write to you, some had written, whether it's by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as if they're talking from us, as though the day of Christ had come, let no one deceive you by any means. And then he starts talking about that. We'll get into it. What's going to happen? There's going to be a last generation of believers on the earth that will be raptured. And he wanted them to find comfort in that. But they're finding trouble because of their hearing the things that people had said in their minds. Oh, no, what about this? Or, oh, no, what about that? You know, so th- there's a, a last generation that will, besides the tribulational church, the last tri- generational church that will be caught up. Out of here. Excited. I want to be this generation. I want to be today. I like Turkey, but I like heaven a lot better. Right? And so this church is having trouble, and it may have been because of the, the persecution that was coming upon them. Right? They, they come to Christ. People were persecuting them. And then they were seeing loved ones dying, and the message that others were talking about, oh, they died, so there's no hope for them. Now that Jesus had returned, there's no hope for them, and, and you know, uh, so, so they're, they're, they're finding more trouble than comfort, and so Paul wants to bring clarity here. It's a passage and a topic that's most comforting and encouraging to you and I. We had a young grandson of a grandmother uh, to go attend church here, and five years old, and he was talking to grandma about... Um, I've been hearing this thing. I don't know if he's been hearing it from the pulpit here, from children's ministry, but I bet he's afraid. I don't know what the rapture, I don't know about heaven. I like earth here. You know, five years old. So you get to comfort him with the things of heaven. Listen, may heaven be a comfort to us. And it should be a comfort to us. So it's exciting. Maybe he's troubled that mom and mom and dad aren't doing very well. And they're not walking with Jesus. And he's got this trouble out of the mouth of babes, right? It's so cool. Well, see, Paul starts off here, if you look at verse 13, and he tells the church, he says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. So he's writing to the church, writing to the brothers, and he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. So if you're part of that family, part of the family of God, he says, you know, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand something. I want you to understand what God has in store for us at the end times, at the last days. And, and here, ignorant means to, it, 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 the meaning of it means to not know or to be without knowledge. It doesn't mean that you're stupid. You know, we use that word today in the English language and we kind of blow some people out of the water with it. No, it just means I don't have any, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the knowledge. But God wants us to have proper understanding. He wants us to know. And so he's writing to Paul in the midst of all those false teachers or the people that might come alongside of him telling him that this is going to be a, uh, this is going to be the, the, end, the way the end times look. Um, he's going to come to them with some clarity. And, and if we, you know, we don't live to expect his soon return, like this church is here, they're living expecting, okay, Christ is going to come. Isn't it that much easier for us to live carnal lives? I mean, why not? Why well, you're not coming back. Remember the story I told you uh, about my son and daughter? They were, we left them at home alone for the first time as young teenagers. And they were, at, I mean, maybe 12 years old, 10 years old. And we left and we came back like 10 minutes later and surprised them. They go, I always want you to fear the day that I will ever walk through that door and you not know it. <laughs> but really what I wanted them to know was that Jesus can come back at any time. Right? That's the, kind of the message I was planning in their minds. I want you to understand that. And, and without that knowledge, we just don't care. Well, you know, we live and eat and we drink for tomorrow we die. But the Lord wants us to live expecting that He's going to return at any time. He's going to meet us in the clouds. 
And so Paul says that he doesn't want them to be without knowledge. Especially those concerning those who have fallen asleep. Look at verse 13 because that's what he continues. He says, he says, but I didn't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And it speaks of physical death, not soul sleep. For the believer to be, you know, you and I, we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But he says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Listen, when a loved one dies, we mourn. I just got a phone call this morning. Um, Brad and Catherine, they attend here, and uh, his grandfather passed away in his arms. And, you know, the pain that goes with it. I got to pray with Catherine. You can be praying for Brad. And, and you know, just somewhat unexpected. And here it was. That now I'm holding a lifeless body. My grandfather has just passed away this morning. And we mourn over that, don't we? We mourn over the loss of a loved one. There's no doubt about it. But we know this, that our sorrow or our mourning is not hopeless. For the believer, we can understand that. We There's no doubt that we're going to see death if we're, you know, uh, living in a generation that doesn't see the rapture, we're going to see death and we're going to see loved ones die and they're going to suffer. And maybe even through, you know, some of the diseases that we have, we don't want to see that. We don't want to see that, you know. And then when they die, we have that, the, the shell of their body remains and we're like, man, it's so empty. But then our sorrow, as Paul points out here, we're not hopeless because we're confident that once a believer dies, he's present with the Lord. If she's present with the Lord, he gives us that hope. There's great hope in that. I mean, you know, you think about that. Sadly, there are many who have no hope. You ever been to a service, to a, a funeral, to a, somebody who's an unbeliever? It's like sterile. What do you do? It's like, where are they going? Well, you can't talk about it. I don't know where the guy or the gal went. And so when I, and I've officiated them, and I don't mind officiating them too much, because though the person, I don't know where they're at, I get an opportunity to address the congregation, the people that are there. The Bible says that, you know, it's good that we're in the house of God instead of the bars, the taverns. So we come together and we're going to hear of life. I'm going to point him to the creator, the one who created them. But for, for an unbeliever, they have no hope. For a believer, we have what is called a celebration of life. Man, they've graduated. You know, they're out of here. I'm jealous. You know, they're out of here. And so they've gone on to glory. And so the unbeliever at their service is just like somber. Like, well, you know, people, you'll hear them say, well, at least they're not suffering. Eh, don't ever say that. You guys are beginning a suffering, you know, for an unbeliever. But God offers us hope. He says, you know, I don't want you to be ignorant. For those who have fallen asleep, listen, in this day and age of Greek theology and some of the Greek mythology that they had, it was a wide range of cryptic beliefs, but it offered no hope. Let me, let me read you a little bit of something about the Greek philosophy and, and, and their empty hope. If you were a Greek and, and you died, you were in Thessalonica and you died, they believed that after death your soul went on a journey, and then a journey to a place called the underworld, which they called Hades. And then they came to this guy called Thanatos, which he was the god of death. And he would reach down and cut a lock of hair off your head as you were dying. Some of you would be in trouble. But he would... Um, <laughs> he would he would cut off a lock of your hair uh, as you died. And then Hermes, he was a messenger of the gods. He led you to the river Styx. And if your body was buried, then Charon would come. The ferryman transported you across the river. And on the bank of the river, then you could encounter uh, Cerberus. Uh, he was a three-headed dog. 
And the three-headed dog guarded you to the underworld. And his job was to stop people from leaving or returning to the world of the living. And after crossing the river, then you were you would leave this ferry and walk. Uh, you'd leave the ferry and walk in a place that was called Ash uh, Aspidal Fields, where people would forget all the memories about their former life. You think that'd be nice? And then at the fork, there was a fork in the road. Three judges would be there. They would decide where you were to go, where your soul was to go. Good people went on to Elysium, which is a place where the sun always shines. Sounds good. And then there was a there were those who needed to be punished, and if they were punished, they would uh, they were sent to Tartarus. Sometimes the judge, if he couldn't decide where you were going to go, they would send you back to Aspidal Fields, and and then in um, Tartarus, people would uh, who had upset God would receive terrible punishments. And Tartarus was this dark place. Imagine to be the place that was as far as the earth, uh, as far below the earth as the earth was from the sky. So Greek mythology tells us that stories of a people who ended up there, two of them, Sisyphus, who was a uh, one, he would push this heavy rock uphill over and over again, only to have the rock fall, roll over him every time. The other one, his name was Hangry Tantalus, and he was one who would have to stand near a table that was covered with wonderful, delicious foods, but he could never reach it. That's torture. <laughs> That's a Greek theology. There's no hope there. What do you hope for? Where's your certainty? You know? And so, you know, you have no hope. And, and so Paul wants to clear things up and make sure they're coming out of that world. You think of the world that we live in. People just think that, well, I, I die. It's all over. So I eat and drink. I go. I remember talking to a guy several years ago. And I said, where are you going to go when you die? He says, well, I'm going to go in the box. I'll become plant food, plant food. You know, become a plant, plant, uh, cows eat it, get regurgitated seven times in the stomach, dumped out, tried for something else. And you got to be kidding me. Yeah, life just ends when you die. He said, nope, sorry. So speaking, he says, about others who have no hope. For the unbeliever, listen, there is a hope. You want to know what it is? If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, here's the hope. Jesus Christ died for you, and I hope you hear this. And I hope you not only hear it in your heart, I hope you receive it. Receive the gift of eternal life. Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. And that is the message. That's the hope for today for the believer. But but being so far from the truth because the enemy wants you to think that, well, you could just die and then everything will be at peace. You'll go to that place where your memories will be washed away. So the devil wants you to think. That's why so many are committing suicide today. Because that they could just think, if I could just erase the hurt, if I could erase the pain, if I could just be for, forgiven and have people forgive me for what they've done and what I've done to them, then I'll be in a much better place. But that's not the truth. Jesus Christ came to set you free. Jesus Christ became the answer, and He is the answer. And with all the pain and the ugliness in the world, Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. So He says those who have no hope, if you have no hope, you can have hope in Christ Jesus, but only in Christ Jesus. And then, you know, to think about it, because escaping the thought of suicide uh, with suicide is so far from the truth. But God has given us hope through Jesus Christ. He has created for us a, uh, an, an avenue through His Son that He's wanting us to know that we should live our lives with expectation. And then we have hope. 
I'm living my life for Jesus. I'm living it because of him, what he's done for me. And I'm going to live it on him. He can return it at any time. For us to be playing around thinking, well, no, I'm not going to die. Or, or, you know what, the Lord's not coming back. That's foolishness. And again, the only hope for the unbeliever is the hope that you would come to Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. I would hope again that you would turn from your sins, turn from your wicked ways. Listen, I was there. Don't think, well, I don't know how to cross over to good. No, no, you don't cross over to good. You just die to yourself and pick up Jesus Christ. Let him live for you. And then Paul says here, he says in verse 14, he says, For if we believe that Jesus Christ rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So he says, if you believe this church here, about the time this was written, that was so fresh on their minds about Jesus Christ dying, being buried and rose again. So fresh on their minds. You guys, you, you believe that Jesus Christ died? Oh yeah, they believe that. You believe that he was buried? Oh yeah, man. So my father told me that. He was there. He went from Thessalonica to Jerusalem. Where they watched it. And so he's reminding these people. Some of these people may have even been there at the time. And he says, if you believe that, God's going to bring with those, those who have died or gone to sleep in Jesus. Don't worry about it. If you can have faith in that, that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Yeah, we can have faith in that. And you fast forward 2,000 years today, the church in Kelso, teaching the same letter that was written 2,000 years ago. And the message would be, hey, if you have faith, church, that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so, God will do the same with those who have fallen asleep. You don't have to worry about that. There is a better place for them. See, those who belong to Christ are to continue entrusting Him over and over again, over and beyond. No, it doesn't matter what anybody else is saying. doesn't matter the next thing that's out there or the newest thing that comes out. Listen, we're to have faith and it brings with it the meaning that we're to lean our whole life upon Him that if He were to move, though He won't, if He were to move, our life would fall apart. It's usually us that moves, right? We're the ones that move. But if we were to move, if he were to move, our life would fall apart. And it's more than just this intellectual belief. Because, you know, some will come, you know, uh, to, to this place of just thinking, well, I believe that. But to receive that, to understand upon it, again, to lean, lean your life upon it, to give your whole life to the fact that Jesus Christ had died. You know what? You, you will under, you, when you understand that, you come to that place of, of realizing what he's done. Then realizing how much hope there is in that. And some in the church have been told that, well, your, your loved ones have died. Your loved ones have died, so there's no hope for them. Jesus hasn't returned, so there's no hope for them. But here the Lord reminds them, He will bring uh, our loved ones with Him. If we're that church, listen, if we're that generation that is raptured out of here, I think it's so cool that I'm going to meet my mom and my sister in the clouds. Isn't that cool? I'm going to meet them in the clouds. I can't wait to see them again. My mom came to the Lord at 77 years old. She lived till 80. She was on fire. My sister, some of you know her, she attended here after moving from the East Coast. And she moved out here. It was just on fire for Jesus. I love the Lord. I can't wait to see her again. But you know, this is the thing that we can have hope in. We can have hope that we're going to meet them in the clouds. Once again. And then in verse 15, look, because he says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So Paul wants them to know is, I'm not telling you this. I'm not just dreaming it up. It's just God's word. This is the word of the Lord. And he's saying, you know what? He clearly tells us this is a promise of God. We're to trust in him. 
We're to trust in his promises. We're to trust in what he has for us. We're to trust in him. So he clearly tells us that these promises are from him, from the Lord. So when we say something or we hear something, we're to understand that God said it. It's a promise from God. He's never let us down. It's not like me at times. I sleep through the alarm. It happens very often, but I do. Or I get a flat tire and I just can't help being at a place I'm supposed to be at. Maybe you and I, we try the best we can, but sometimes we just let others down, don't we? Jesus will never let us down. He says, I want you to know this is a word from the Lord. That God has made this promise. And so these promises aren't based on human intervention or human dependability or human necessity for them to come to pass. Not at all. Everything that Jesus says, he says, is going to be 100% dependent upon himself. He doesn't need our help. It's going to happen. And so the things that we're counting on to happen, we can take, they're going to take place and we can take them as truth because God has said them. I love that. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, he says in John chapter 14, he says, let, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you, or I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, guess what? I will come again. And he said that to them, and receive you into myself, and where I am there, uh, and, and, and there, and where I am there, you may be also. You see, the Lord said it. He, he wants us to have confidence in him. Just like every part of his word that we're trusting in, every part of his word that he gives us to live by, that we're trusting in his word. And he says, you know what? Just as I have said that if you receive me, so your sins will be forgiven. Just as I have said that, so too I'll tell you that when you die, you're going to be with me. You're going to be with me forever and ever. And I love that because Paul would go on and he would talk about this to several churches. First Corinthians, he wrote this in chapter 15. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. This is the, the resurrection chapter, if you will. He says, we shall not all sleep. And again, there was a, there's a generation that's going to be taken out of here. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> no doubt about that. He said, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet of God will sound, and the dead in Christ will, ra will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I'm so glad. You know the body that you have? I don't care how often you go to the gym, it will never be heaven-bound. I had to throw that out there. It doesn't matter how much we take. I mean, we should take care of our bodies. Don't get me wrong. But, but what I'm saying is what we have here is not going to be, it can't, it's not going to make it in heaven. We just don't have it. So we'll have these new bodies and I'm thankful for that. But Paul talks about the trumpet and the trumpet always signaled the presence of God or in the, in the Old Testament case, it signaled the presence of God. So they blow the shofar and, and the presence of God would be there. And in this last blast for the church, it's there because it signifies his appearance shall never end. We're going to be with him forever and ever. Listen, if you don't like church, if you don't like being in the presence of a people, the people of God, you may not like heaven. Heaven's going to, we're going to be there with him, with Jesus. And we should have that longing to be around his people now, equipping ourselves to be with him forever and ever. You know, some might say, you know, when you think about this, the, the Lord wanted the church to, uh, I want you to clearly understand about the imminent return. Uh, and it's still his desire that we today, we're thinking 2,000 years later, that we would still be waiting for his return and to meet us in the clouds at any time. But keep in mind, he's not slacking off. God's not, you know, slacking off concerning this 
a time that he's going to uh, he's coming just trust him and some might say well it sounds like Paul's wrong or it sounds like something is wrong what's going on it's been 2000 years was he in error mm. Paul held to what Jesus said clearly Jesus plainly taught but of the day of the hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son of man but only the father take heed watch and pray and you do not know when the time is I know it's coming and because I know that the Lord is coming to meet us in the clouds, I know that I want to live my life in a way that is going to be acceptable to Him. It was a life of that purity, that life of order. I want to live that life in that way. God, help me to live that life in that manner. And again, we may not know the time or the hour, but we know the season. Right? The season's upon us, is it not? I think in the days of Noah, He says that so will the sun, coming of the Son of Man be as in the days of Noah. What was happening in the days of Noah? It was sick. You had perverseness, sexual perverseness running rampant. And, and God says, you know what? There's going to be a generation that, that this perverseness is, is running rampantly. And it's going to be, as in the days of Noah, I'm just going to call my people home. I'm going to call them. We're done. I'm done. Right now there's grace. We live in this age of grace that God wants to save. Listen, when I, when I talk about the evil generation. I talk about you know the people that are sick and and living lives that are anti-Christ. And I was there. I'm not preaching at them. I'm, the message that I'm giving was grace because God's grace is sufficient to save them as well. So I look at the generation that's out there and I say, you know what? They've got to they've got to come to Jesus. We've got to love live our lives loving them, showing them that Jesus is real. I mean, think of the, the day of uh, Thessalonica. They were coming out of that world just like you are. There's no difference. And we're to, we're to live this life. You know, man, Jesus is coming at any moment, loving people, telling them the truth about the love of God in the day in which we live. And Paul is here. He's reminding them of that, that very thing. There will be a generation, though, that will not die. I don't know about you. I don't want to see death. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm not afraid to die. But I don't know what my end time has with it. I just pray that by the grace of God I make it through it. But I do know this, that there is a generation that will not see death, but will be changed. I pray it's this generation. I'm sorry. I'm a little. It's like every little Jewish girl that when it was ever born, that was brought up in, in, in Israel, they had what? One hope. You know what it was? That they might be the Messiah's mother. That's what they, they would grow up being. All right, I got this whole band. I'm a, there's a chance. And then uh, Dingling would come by and say, hey, do you want to get married? And they'd go, well, there goes my hope. Because, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have kids now. It ain't going to happen, uh, you know. So there's going to be a generation coming that we're going to not see death. And I praise this generation. What, now listen, wouldn't it be neat? Not by word, necessarily, but by deed, that the church would live unto Christ. And that we would, if we could, even usher the soon return of the Lord, because we're just longing for Him. We're just longing for Him, you know, just, Lord, come quickly. But not, you know, at the same time, just being busy about His business. Look at verse 15 again. Because he reminds him over and over again, he says, For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we, and that's believers, who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are falling asleep. So we're going to meet them. And I don't know how often you are reminded about the soon return of the Lord. There's actually this thing 
uh, that's permeating a lot of the nation and a lot of our, our area here. It's called Dominion Theology. And listen, let me tell you, can I share something with you? You can wipe that one off your, your, your list because we're going to be out of here through the rapture of the church if we don't see that. I pray that this happens. We don't have to usher the kingdom of God. He's done everything he needs for people to call out to him through Jesus Christ. But how often do you hear now of the soon return of the Lord? You hear about it at work, at your water coolers, you know, getting a cup of coffee. People say, hey, you know Jesus is coming back. You don't hear that anymore. And so Paul, Paul, Paul here again says here, he wants them to be encouraged. And he says, um, it's important to be reminded. Hey, you know, I don't know how you're living your life, church, but uh, although we're not going to be perfect, but we should live our lives in a way to where we're anticipating the Lord to come at any moment. And so Paul here again, he's not talking about soul sleep. Some have believed that, you know, he's talking about the soul going to a place to where then judgment will be made, where it goes. Kind of like the Greek mythology or some churches have. That's not what it is. There is no purgatory. There's heaven and there's hell. And see, it's not the, the soul sleep that he's talking about in the body. The body dies. The body can't make it very long. It's called a tent. It's referred to as a tent. If you went camping in this area, in this weather, your tent wouldn't last that long. And so my body and your bodies in this area, they're not lasting that long because of the environment we live in. And we're breaking down. But we are confident in this. As Paul said to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, So we are always confident knowing that while we were at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, Please, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm excited about that. That that just suits me wonderfully. And for you and I to believe that this um, this is what we ought to be looking for, we don't have to spend time looking at you know, the, the news out there, although it's exciting to see some of the things that are happening. I don't look at the end time events. I look at, I, matter of fact, I just want to have my ears open. Hear the trumpet. Hear the trumpet. You know, we, we listen for the trumpet and we look for the Lord Jesus Christ and to take, to take uh, home his bride, uh, to take us, his bride home with him. And, and isn't it true that we believers, we can spend a lot of time worrying about a lot of things, can't we? But just, I'm always reminded of this, no matter how hard things get in life, that this is the worst it ever gets on this planet. For a believer. We have heaven. We have heaven that awaits us. And it kind of motivates me to get through these bad days. I was just telling the guys in our leadership class yesterday, I said I had some really bad days the last couple of days. But you know what? I'm so thankful that I have heaven, the reminder of heaven. It kind of alleviates that. It alleviates the hard days. You know what's the worst it's ever going to get? And then we have heaven for all eternity. Thankful for it. And so for the church, we can find great comfort in knowing that Jesus is coming again. Listen, I know that things get hard on earth. And, in, and, and the world is getting whacked out. And the laws of the world are getting crazy. But he's coming again. And we have hope in that. And we have hope that, and, that he's going to come again. And because in a world out there, there is no hope. What are they going to tell you? What are you going to do? How are they going to lie to you? I mean, because there's nothing out there they can't offer any hope. They want to live today. Well, listen, we'll give you all the freebies that you want today. Well, what about today? The greatest freebie you can have is eternal life, and Jesus already paid the price. You want something that's free, that you don't have to work for? 
Trust me, if you want a free check, somebody's paying for it. If you want a free meal, it came through somebody's account or somebody's effort, something like that. And, 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 but if you want salvation, you want the only free gift, you and I can do, can do nothing about it. We can do nothing for it except receive it. Here it is, the gift of eternal life. And so he reminds us of those things, and there's comfort in that. There's also comfort knowing that I don't have to change the world, that he has the opportunity to change the world through his gift. And so he goes, look at verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend. Nobody's going to need, he's not going to need help from anybody. He, he himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. You know what? Those who had come to Thessalonica, they were spreading rumors with much discouragement that if somebody died before Christ, that there was no hope for them. They were just, man, how do you live with that? I mean, it's hard enough living not knowing that somebody li- lived their life for Christ. You know, so it's hard. It is. It's hard not knowing. Like, where was a personal believer? They'll call me. Hey, Pastor, Rob, can you do a funeral? So and so died. I said, Did they know the Lord? Well, at one time. Oh boy. So you know, I'm like, at one time, you know, what were they living for? I mean, it's so comforting knowing, isn't it, that people will live their lives in a way that you know that you know that you know they die. They're out of here, man. They're with Jesus. And it's so comforting to know that. And he said, the Lord Himself will descend. And the dead in Christ will write first. And, and those who are coming in telling them this funky monkey stuff that, hey man, you can come into this place and you're going to live your life. And you know, you, who, who knows what's going to happen in the end. Jesus gives us the assurances. Paul was talking to the Athenians about uh, um, the, the, the Athenian philosophers. Most of them mocked him when he was talking about the, the, the doctrine of resurrection in Acts chapter 17. The Greeks themselves they kind of wanted to get rid of their bodies. They were, I'm done with it. I'm okay with that. If they were a Greek, they didn't care. They didn't want their bodies to be back again. So they would dismiss the, the doctrine of the resurrection. But they, because they had trouble with this body, they, they knew that the elements of the body, it would be decaying. It was dropping down. Yeah, there's nobody that can't tell you that. There's nobody that can't tell you. We've never seen a guy live. I think what's the longest lately is maybe a hundred and change, a hundred and some years old that somebody lives their life. And you're looking, you know, they're decaying and I'm decaying. We're decaying. In a progressive world, we're dying. So you have this thing to where Paul is saying, though, you know, the, the hope is that the Lord is coming back. And don't ever forget that with the shout, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. So the Greeks had no hope. The world has no hope. But Jesus says, I have hope. And with a shout of a command, the dead will rise. The dead in Christ will rise again. And it doesn't mean that he's going to put elements back together. I think somebody once said, for uh, resurrection is not reconstruction. I'm thankful. Don't, don't try putting his body back together. I want a new one. And, he, and so he says, you know, he goes on to say, for, in verse 17, for we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. Caught up. That's where we get this word to seize up or to pluck away by force. And the Latin word caught up is rapturo. It's where we get our word rapture. And it's, it's the same word that is used in Philip when Philip was preaching and baptized in the eunuch. Uh, he was raptured out of there. He was pulled away. He was said he was caught up. It's the same word that is used in John 10, 28 where Jesus uh, says that uh, nobody can snatch you. Nobody can pluck you out of my hand. It's the same word. Same word. Taken by force. 
no matter how bad things get, we need to stay focused because in the twinkling of an eye, we can be out of here. In the twinkling of an eye. You see, again, the unsaved around the world, you know, around us, they ought to see the church living in peace and comfort. They ought to see that. Listen, how come they're not being so upset or they're not pulling their hair out? Why is the church stable? Because we're built upon the rock. Why, why is the church? I mean, look at everything that's going on. They're even threatening the church, you know, us, you know, hate speech and all this stuff. I'm just, the Bible cuts. I get that. But it's not hate, it's love because God wants to save people. But, you know, the unsaved world, there is no peace. But they ought to see the comfort and peace that you and I have. Those who trust in the Lord, they ought to see the peace in that. Because we're trusting in the Lord. We're giving all of our uh, our hope, our, our trust in Him, and the expectation that He's soon going to be, He's going to return. There's going to be mockers, no doubt. The Bible talks about mockers. There'll be mockers out there who will uh, rise up in a day where is the Lord's coming. But He's saying, you know... Uh, be ready. Just as in the days of Noah, there's, there's mockers. And we have a tendency to get caught up in the now. Don't, I mean, when we do that, we need to change our focus. Listen, my focus is I'm going to be out of here one day. We're not guaranteed how long we'll live, how many days we'll live, but we're guaranteed when our days are numbered, when they're over, that we're going to be with Jesus. That we're going to be with the Lord forever. And, and again, the entire world around us, it has trouble. It has no hope. It has no hope at all. There, there's no no hope, but we can, we can, the church can understand this, that the Bible says that we're going to be caught up one day. And it ought to motivate us. And some of you, I'll just be honest, aren't living the way you should be living. Expecting Jesus to soon return. And that's the way the church needs to be woken up. Hey, wake me up because I got to hear this because I want to live the way that I should be living. So we need to be focused not on the lies, but on what lies ahead. Not on the uh, fallacies, or not on what we might hope to be real, but what is real. See, the imminent return of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church can be taken at any time. See, when things aren't going well, when things get a little bit rough, I love to remember that Jesus may take us home at any time. Just the way it is. And then look at verse 17, because he says, he reminds us that it isn't a temporal thing. What you and I go through may be temporal, but he says, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. We shall always be with the Lord. The day will come when all of this will pass. We're not going to have to worry about paying taxes. Can I get an amen? (laughs) We're not going to have to worry about the higher prices of gasoline or insurance or any of that stuff, health care. We're not going to, listen, we're not going to ever have to vote again for ballots that you don't understand. Right? Measures that are written in ways to where it just spins our mind. We're not going to have to discern whether the politician is telling the truth or not. We're not going to have any of that. We're going to have Jesus Christ. In the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, that's comforting. And we'll be with Him forever. That should be comforting to us. And this is what He closes with. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is what we should be doing to one another. You see somebody, we're not going through a good time, you know, having a bad hair day, whatever the case may be. That we look at it and we say, you know what, Jesus, Jesus is coming back. Don't, it's, it's not this thing to where we're like, oh, well, let me think of something good to say. Oh yeah, Jesus is coming back. Man, that's, that's truth. It's real. He could be coming back. And sometimes we brush it off. Well, it's been 2,000 years, like I said, 2,000 years. But we don't know. We know the season, but not the time of the hour. But we should be comfort one, comforting one another with, with these words. Let me, 
close with the little writing. I kind of chuckled over it uh, from uh, Warren Worsby. He reminds us that death is a fact of life. There's no doubt about it. The only way to escape death is to be alive when the Lord returns to rapture the church. He says death is not an accident, it's an appointment. Very true. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after that, the judgment. And he was he wrote in his little book, he says, I saw a quaint inscription on this gravestone in an old British cemetery not far from Windsor Castle, and it read this. Pause, my friend, as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. And then a visitor had walked by there, scratched his head, and looked at it, and he added these lines to it. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. (laughs) Very true, right? Listen, we Christians have a wonderful insurance and a hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have that hope. The two things, maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that hope. Maybe you've walked away from that hope, or maybe you've never come to that hope through Jesus Christ. He wants you to know this morning you can change everything. This morning you can give your life to Jesus. Everything forgiven. Listen, suicide is not the answer. Drugs and alcohol, taking the edge off is not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the only answer. And if you want that hope this morning, as we close off, I'm going to ask you to come forward. And why do I do that? is we want to pray for you. But I do that because the Bible says, if you can confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So I want you to make an, a, a statement of faith this morning. If you've walked away from the Lord, or if you're, you haven't received the Lord, and you know that you need Jesus this morning, would you come forward? The second thing is those of you who may not be walking, right? The Lord's going to come back just like that. You're sleeping sleeping spiritually. Your life isn't being lived the way it should be. And I say this in love. This morning is the day to turn it around. Be ever so thankful that Jesus is here with His grace. The choice is ours to make. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, again, we come to You. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.